Welcome to the Organizer Chicks podcast. I am your host, Amber Taggart, and I'm so glad that you have set aside some time to listen here today. I'm really excited. I think we have a great guest for you today. I want to tell you a little bit about her. She's got over 20 years of teaching and training communication with an MA in communication studies, BAs in theater, speech, and English. She has learned that it's all about knowing ourselves and tuning into and truly listening to the other. She has a Kiersey Temperament Certification and helps her clients communicate more effectively in teams and individually, and she believes in the power of understanding ourselves and others. Welcome to the podcast, Tina Bakehouse. Well, thank you, Amber. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time out to come and chat with us today. I'd love it if you would start, Tina, by just kind of talking us through your story. How and why did you decide that communication and that effectively being that listener is so important and something that you wanted to dedicate your life to? Well, I was that little girl in Southwest Iowa that my front porch on the Iowa farm was a proscenium stage. It became the space where I crafted shows with my younger brother and sister. I recorded on my Brown Fisher Price tape recorder, various radio programming, all things theater. And I just enjoyed crafting stories, presenting for my parents' anniversary every year, just this power of words and power of of creativity and through the arts. And so I evolved into the world of community theater and speech and all things communication in terms of high school, college. And that's what drew me to teaching. And so I taught high school speech, English, and theater for a chunk of time, got my advanced degree, taught at Creighton University for about 10 years. And then sort of uh, during that journey, recognized the importance of getting to do one-on-one and large group coaching and workshops. And so I've been doing that for the last over 10 years. And the thing that really hit me, I think most was in 2007, when I was teaching, I opened my mouth to speak and I lost my voice completely nothing came out. And you have to admit, especially a speech teacher, that's pretty funny irony because irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. And I didn't know what to do other than quickly have a student run to the office because there was nothing, not even, even a squeak. And so during that time, that full year, I went through extensive speech therapy a couple of times a week. I had a surgeon tell me you can do one of two things. It was vocal cord nodules, similar to Julie Andrews, what she had. I could have her surgery. And he said, you know, it could be successful, but your voice would probably be deeper and different. It would not sound like you, or it could be unsuccessful. So it's your choice. Or you can do six weeks of complete silence, no cheating, no heart wrenching laughs or any of that. Right. So I picked the silence. It was the the least risky and the hardest. But it was during that time that I realized how much people just love being listened to. I'm an enthusiastic, kind, compassionate communicator, but I realized how much I loved sharing and talking, but I needed to work on the listening aspect. And so it was in that time that I recognized that all communication is persuasive. Your audience can choose to tune you out or choose to listen. So that's how I evolved. And now, you know, during the international pandemic, after I left education, I went into a nonprofit, got burnt out, and then had a job developed for me at a bank to be the storyteller for the town and the bank. And after two years of that, I recognized that financial literacy, though it's important, really for me, it's effective communication because the world needs it. So I sat with myself and decided 
this is what I'm called to do, focus on one thing and help people find their authentic speaker style and connect with others. Wow. What an interesting story. And this is how life goes sometimes, right? We, we have these experiences that in the moment we think this is the worst. This is a terrible curse. And I, this horrible thing has happened to me, but I, I think many people have a story in which the thing that felt like the curse in that moment becomes the blessing. And it, it's what we do with that time and how we choose to come out on the other side of it. And I love the fact that you had this six weeks and you could have been miserable. You could have been mad. You could have been resentful that your voice had failed you, but instead you chose to focus on being this listener. Right. I had a lot of people call me during that time, knowing I couldn't say anything and they would just talk and people would come over and I had my notebook but I, it was very therapeutic for so many people, but it also, I mean, I was exhausted by the end of the day because listening, really listening takes so much energy, but yes, I, it was a choice and don't get me wrong, not being able to laugh because I'm a loud laugher was really challenging for six weeks. I, I mean, super hard, but on top of that, I realized just how much it is important to be in the moment and co-create communication with people. And what that means is that you are caring about them. You're showing them and that you want to help them and build that trust. And you do that by listening with your eyes and your ears. And I love, you know, that we're differentiating here. There's, there's hearing and then there's listening and that, that one truly is the higher order, you know, form of the other, right? Absolutely. Because hearing it's, it's sort of lend itself to, Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. You can hear a tone, right? I mean, we've all been there sitting in church or in school. Maybe the, the lecture is going a little too long. We hear the voice, but we have absolutely no idea what the content is about. And so listening really is a choice. And as a communication coach and a speech, uh, I've, I've judged speech competitions for college and high school students. I had to train my brain to really, I would listen to lots of TED Talks. I listened to lots of speeches and that you can train your brain to really be able to listen and to tune into what those main points are. What are those important details? But it is listening truly is a choice. We can hear, but can we listen? Right. I love that because, you know, hearing is just one of the five senses that the majority of people have. And it's almost something that happens to you. And then I heard the train, you know, you weren't trying, you weren't actively engaged in that, but it, the intentionality of listening. It is definitely an intention. Absolutely. Interesting that you've, you know, you had this experience and it, you know, it taught you to, to dive deeper into this, but then obviously there's such a pairing, I feel like with your education. And I know I kind of ran over some of that as I talked, you know, through your bio real quick, but talk to us a little bit more about your education and about your certification. I've always been a lifelong learner during the pandemic. What did I do? I decided to take four graduate classes because I thought, why not? I love to learn and why not get my fifth through 12th grade high school speech English theater certification recertified. So my education stems from my first focus was psychology and communication studies. Hence why I was very intrigued with your background in that as well. And so I worked in human resources for a bit and people were just interesting to me. I feel like people are interesting. They're here for our entertainment. And I did that whole interviewing, tapping into personalities. And then I decided on a whim, it was a July of 1998 to go back. I just did a whirlwind round trip from Omaha, Nebraska to Cedar Falls, Iowa 
And it's, it would have been over four hours for one day to just explore the old campus that I knew and loved. And I decided in that moment, I need to go back to school. I want to be a teacher. And so I did an eight hour drive in one day, got all the paperwork and I applied in that fall, I went to school and got my theater communication studies, English teaching degree and taught high school for almost six years. But it was during that time that I really was more committed to content and I wanted to, to even grow further and, and do more. And so I decided to go back to school, get my not only my communication studies degree, but an advanced professional writing certificate to teach at the collegiate level and did that. And it was during a time that a mentor from grad school exposed me to Kiersey temperament. And he said, you have to take this class. I know you've graduated already with your degree. He knew I was an idealist, which is at the core, I love to journey and learn. And, and the journey is almost more important and self-identity and that unique self-identity is, is a value, core value that affects and influences how we work, lead, and communicate. So I sit in his class, I get to sit in there for a full semester, and I become passionate about, wow, this is making me be the teacher I need to be. And so I became a better teacher, understanding self, but then, you know, Plato said, know thyself, but then it's really know the other. And from there, uh, it also really enhanced my relationships with my family. Thanksgiving dinner became a better dinner because I acknowledge that everybody shows up with a different intention, with a different core value. Right. And that that doesn't necessarily make anybody wrong or right or better or worse. Just we just beat to different drummers. I mean, I may feel something more deeply, like the same thing could happen to both of us, but I may feel it a little bit more deeply and it's the same experience, but validating that I just want to be understood that, Hey, that's my emotion you feel maybe a little softer emotion and that's okay. And it was for the first time I realized, wow, my enthusiasm, I am a big enthusiastic communicator and I'd love to share that creativity to embrace that because I've been shushed a lot in terms of, wow, if you work here, we love that energy, but tone it down a little bit. And so it's, it's acknowledging, yes, I need to modify maybe a little bit. It's to love who I am and accept that others are not exactly like me. And that's absolutely okay. Absolutely. I love that. Well, tell us a little bit, if you would talk us through the idea of these four temperaments that Kiersey talks about. So personality, as you know, is built uh, with two core ideas of character and temperament. And temperament is approximately anywhere from 50 to 60% of who you are. And that's your, that's what you're born with those natural inclinations how you behave, how you work, how you communicate. Kiersey did this research and said that what humans are unique in that we want to achieve our goals and we do it differently based on what's natural to us with how we use words and how we use tools. So there's a natural way that we do it. We can be trained, but it's just not as easy for us based on temperament. So it's like the fox invades the chicken coop. I live on a farm and that has actually happened. You would never see a beaver invade a chicken coop. A beaver builds a dam, you know, owls hunt at night and, and dolphins swim in schools. So at the core, the, the temperament is your hardware, you're hardwired to be a certain way and do a certain thing. Identical twins, there's been a lot of research on them that separated. They still had those little quirks that are very similar, which is ironic and crazy, but it's not ironic because it's in their DNA. And then the other part of your personality is character. And that's your environment. That's what you're nurtured to be. So planting an acorn here in Southwest Iowa 
nurturing it with fertilizer, sunshine, and rain, it's going to thrive into a beautiful oak tree. If I were to plant that same acorn in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, it's, its DNA would still be an oak tree. That's temperament, but it's nurtured environment. It would not be the best oak tree it could be. So you are who you are and definitely character or the environments and people that you're around affect and influence how you are. So Piercy did research in the 40s with watching individuals at times of stress and war. He also engaged in research in school districts and how do students behave and engage and learn. And what he noticed is that how they get stressed, they appear differently, but they also have a natural way in which they engage with other people through words and how they engage in using tools. So there's four core temperaments the artisan, the guardian, the idealist, and the rational. And these are, this is not a new idea. Hippocrates and Aristotle, I mean, they've talked about this is early, earlier than 300 BC. So it's been around for a long time, but Kiersey created his own terminology and he built from Myers-Briggs where Myers-Briggs uh, did not inclinations like internally, he did more external observations of you can watch what people do and you can listen to what people say. And that it can, there can be some ways in which that can be somewhat predictable. I mean, obviously context matters. So the artisan has the core value of wanting to make, uh, to make an impact and have freedom to do so. The guardian has the core uh, value of a sense of belonging and responsibility. The idealist has that core value of wanting a unique identity. And the rational has the core value of knowledge and scientific inquiry. And with this, what we have found and what I have found in working with people and, and, and acknowledging that we do have these four different temperaments is when you show up into a professional space or into a personal space, if you just show up and you choose to tune in within a short amount of time, how people communicate, whether it's sequential or random, if they're a lot more utilitarian or cooperative, a little bit more direct or role informative, you can sort of gauge, you know, how to connect with that person to find that common ground. And that's the core. At the core, that's what I think will help influence and connect people is finding that common ground. I feel like Myers-Briggs is probably the most popular, the most widely known to, to me anyway, that that's my, that's my feeling on the matter. And in Myers-Briggs, there are 16 types. And basically, Kiersey's kind of, kind of said, these all fall neatly into these four categories with, with four types in each of those four, four that are the artisan, four that are the guardian, et cetera. Is that correct? Right. Yes. So what the difference is with those four subcategories is within each one, it's looking at is this individual role directive or role informative? And by that he means, do you feel comfortable with schedules and making decisions or do you prefer to keep options open? So there's two of the four subcategories that would select that. Um, then within that, there's also introversion versus extroversion. And Kiersey says of all the things, this is the least important, yet we talk about it the most because really it's all about recharging our batteries but isn't decision-making and how we prefer schedules and making decisions a little bit more important than if we need downtime or if we enjoy being around people? I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to ask about, but I do feel like being aware that if you need downtime and advocating for that as an introvert is huge and super important. The other thing, when you look at idealists 
and artisans, what they have in common is they're more random and what they do and how they communicate. When you look at the guardian and the rational, they're a lot more sequential. The, the guardian and the idealist are much more cooperative, whereas the rational and the artisan are a lot more utilitarian, meaning getting from point to A to point B, they don't care how they get there. They're just going to do it. And so it's, yeah, any way, any way possible. But it, it's, it's really fine tuning and understanding those various methods in terms of how we best work within a team, because you're going to find at work, you'll have a team and some are more taskmasters, some are much more social folks and both have their place, but being okay with, and you need all types at the table to have a really strong dynamic team. Absolutely. Well, and as you mentioned, you know, from the beginning of recorded history, you know, we have been trying to figure ourselves and each other out. And that quest still continues today. You know, we have Enneagram, we have, you know, all these methods of trying to better understand self and other. And I think that's important, as you mentioned, you know, in a, in a work situation where there's a team environment, but even in your interpersonal relationships and in a family feels to me like maybe one of the more important ways to places maybe to apply this information. I mean, we're around people all the time and how we connect with each other is really ultimately due in part to how we build trust and you build trust by understanding the other. And that golden rule of do unto others as you would have done unto you, I feel like should be shifted a little bit. Do unto others as you think the other person would like done unto them or ask them if you do not know. It's, it's really that relatability factor and that will make you a lot more persuasive, a lot more likable, and you'll get work done much more effectively. I found in my last few positions when I've worked for other people, I have asked, what's your preference for communication? Some people prefer emails, some prefer face-to-face, some phone, some texting, and it does matter. And they feel empowered that you're asking. Now, when it comes to family, you don't get to choose your family, but what you do get to choose is appreciating them for who they are. So at Thanksgiving, what I've recognized is I am the only idealist in my family. So I love to put little quotes down and it's all about the feel. Like I want everybody to feel good. I want a cool theme or we talk about what we're thankful for. What I allow the guardians in the family to do is we have to have grandma's roles. They've been there traditionally every year and you know, make sure that they make a representation because that's tradition and that's important and that will connect us and that we gather together in, in the same space. The artisan likes to make that impact. So let them bring the really cool pecan pie that's really outstanding or the best wine. And then the rational, let them know when the dinner is done and what time they need to show up because they want to get back to doing their own thing and being independent. Uh, my, My husband is irrational and actually really appreciates that. But when it comes to relationships too, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that the idealist and the rational are kind of a match made in heaven because they use abstract words primarily to communicate. It's not that we don't use concrete, but our preference is to talk about possibilities and theories and philosophies. Whereas the artisans and the guardians are a lot more concrete. It's not that they don't go to the space of abstract. They just prefer those observations of what they see, think, hear, you know, what they feel and taste and touch. Very interesting. So I love that you kind of talked us through maybe a couple of the personality traits that you might find, you know, and if someone's at home and they haven't had a chance to go in and take, you know, an online test yet, which those are, those are available, right? Yes. Those are yes. someone could for free. Com, you can get a, your basic. If you want the really subtype, you'd have to pay for that, but you can get the basic on Kiersey.com K2 sorter. And so for anybody who is listening and wants to find that that's Kiersey.com and it's spelled K E I 
rsey.com to find that website. And uh, yeah, you can take that for free and find out your, your general type there. Tell us a little bit, if you would, maybe what kind of career paths you might find for each of these. That's a great question. Uh, what's interesting is what Kiersey has found is that the idealist is 80% most happy with their position because they can't not do what's at their core value. They, they are catalysts for change. They advocate for it. And that is absolutely true. I have shifted. I mean, I, at the core, it took an international pandemic for me to realize I am called to be a teacher. I literally left teaching to try something new to help my community, which I'm glad I did. I promoted the arts in Southwest Iowa for eight counties, but I then shifted and thought, oh, let's try this other thing and be the educator and community developer for the bank um, and work for a bank, a financial institution, a person with a theater degree, that seems like the universe has a good sense of humor. And so I did, but it was during that time that I always was gravitating towards education, helping and motivating people to know better and do better. So for me, the public speaking, storytelling, coaching just is a natural fit the consulting is a natural fit because I am motivated to help others be their best self, to be on that journey. You know, um, Maslow was an idealist. You know, Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, he wants you to be self-actualized. He thought everybody wants that, but not necessarily. Yeah, it depends, right? The guardian would much rather have safety and security. And so I know I left a teaching position that a guardian friend of mine stayed in because the money was so good, even though she was sort of miserable. And so it's being self-aware uh, in terms of the guardian. They work really, really hard and they're really great with a leadership role in terms of logistics. So uh, the father of our nation, uh, George Washington, was a great example of a guardian where he gave his men during times of war the, the, the materials that they needed, food and clothing to stay uh, safe and warm. The artisan is the, the they need to take risks. They get bored very, very easily. And Kiersey found schools that by and large, a large percentage of kiddos were labeled ADD mislabeled because school is not meant for artisans. They want hands-on experimentation. They want to be in the doing. So your athletes, your musicians are very much the artisan type. And, you know, I think about Bill Clinton, a great president, you know, or uh, Madonna and how she evolved in terms of shock value in the eighties to yoga and children's book, extraordinaire businesswoman, but she's evolved with time and what is, is making the most impact and giving her that freedom. And then you have the, the rational, the Einstein, the Steve Jobs, um, even Hillary Clinton, very good uh, at, they care about knowledge and competency and it's getting it exact. They don't want to be wrong. They're uber independent. You know, my husband, the farmer has relationships with universities constantly doing research to get soil health. Like his mantra is it all depends on the soil. What can I know better, do better to help the future generations. So it's tapping into, I mean, doctors can be any one of those four temperaments. Any career could be any one of those four temperaments, but it's tapping into your strength. The artisan is tactical, the guardian logistics, the idealist diplomatic, the rational strategic. So those are your natural tendencies for your leadership style. It's not that you can't do the other, but when I throw a beautiful birthday party for my son twice, I've forgotten the plates or the forks or something. Those logistics are just not natural to me, but I'm grateful for my guardian mother-in-law and mom. They're like, oh, we got you. It's all good. And we have a really great party. So you tap into your strengths and recognize the other. 
I love that. I think, I think there's so much wisdom to be gained here and, and it's applicable to all areas of life. Like you said, I mean, this, if you're unhappy in your career, maybe, you know, maybe a good opportunity to say, okay, I'm unhappy because I'm this idealist. And, you know, like you said, I'm, you know, trying to, to do something that doesn't feel genuine or, you know, right for me. So that's okay. I don't have to stay here. Right. Exactly. I actually got Kiersey's book because what I love is I just, if you don't mind, want to just read a quick little excerpt from it that opens up and he labels this, you know, different drummers. And he says, Or if my emotion seems less or more intense than yours, given the same circumstances, try not to ask me to feel other than I do. Or if I act or fail to act in the manner of your design for action, please let me be. I do not for the moment, at least, ask you to understand me. That will only come when you are willing to give up trying to change me into a copy of you. And so it's that whole concept of parents are guilty of this, right? Where maybe you want your son to become that star football player, or in my case, I want my kiddo to be that star speech geek or musician, but you let them evolve and grow into the little person and adult that they want to be. Absolutely. As a professional organizer who spends a lot of time in people's, you know, homes and inevitably, you know, you get involved in the family dynamics, the relationship dynamics. And what I find often in in their podcast episodes about this and typically wife really cares about the clutter in the home. She really cares to have a place that maybe just functions a little better, is a little more peaceful, feels more like the sanctuary that she wants to have. And husband is, maybe he's not so bothered by it. We know that there is, you know, some biology behind that. We know that women experience higher, longer lasting cortisol spikes than men do when they see clutter, whether it's theirs or somebody else's for that matter. But so, you know, we know that there's some biological imperative here, but what I see sometimes when I'm working with couples is that there is this resentment. Why don't you care about this to the degree that I do? Why aren't you mad? Why aren't you upset? You know, why aren't you motivated to action and ready to spend money to get professional help (laughs) to alleviate these problems? And I think what you just read from Kiersey himself, I think that is such a, a really important concept that I don't have to feel everything to the degree that you do. I don't have to think the same thoughts that you do. That doesn't make mine less important or less valid. It doesn't mean that I don't care that you care, right? I could, I could still have empathy for the situation that you find yourself in, you know, having that recognition that we are all truly very different people and it's not required that I change or that you change and that we become the same. What's required is that we understand and respect each other exactly where we are and, and try to meet each other's needs and, and be that listener. Absolutely. And, and, and I know that some people in almost every presentation that I are training that I've done with Kiersey, people are like, well, I don't want to be put in a box or, you know, it, it's another form of labeling. Well, we, we, to me, it's this idea of, well, when you go to get a dog, there's certain breeds of dogs. I live on a farm Would I want a chihuahua as a dog to protect my chickens, my ducks, my goats, and cattle? Probably not, right? We do know from breeds of dogs that they behave and look a certain way. Granted, personality is different. We have a lab, a uh, German shepherd, Shyla. Now, if we were to get a similar breed mix and name it different, you know, it would have idiosyncrasies that make it its own. 
And based on the upbringing, you know, if they had a puppy mill experience and stress, they're going to be more skittish, right? So the reason why I think this is a helpful, it's a tool that I feel like it's a really strong tool. I also love Myers-Briggs too, that it's, it gives us awareness. And I think it's that self-awareness that helps us be much more emotionally intelligent. Then we can have that conversational intelligence. And then that equates to communication intelligence that ultimately we are able to connect. So it's moving that situation forward that I feel is learning from each other. It's asking thoughtful questions. It's always, you know, I I got to go into the Serengeti in 2014. And during that time, I met this amazing Dr. John who had been practicing medicine for over 50 years in South Africa. And he'd give me philosophies. And in his very soft voice, when we said our goodbyes, he, he shared something that I've hung near and dear to my heart, which is always be curious, always ask thoughtful questions. It's never failed me in my years of medical practice. So that's what I want is for all of us is to have that curiosity, ask thoughtful questions because it's going to draw you in. And and Dale Carnegie even said himself, people love talking about themselves. He was a popular person at a party because he only asked questions. He didn't tell anything much about himself. He was really getting the other to share their story. Absolutely. Well, Tina, tell us a little bit about what you offer and the clients you work with, you know, and how someone could get a hold of you if they wanted maybe for you to help them work with their spouse, you know, themselves and their spouse, or maybe with their team as a team building exercise. Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I work with individuals and teams. I've worked with both men and women professionals, ranging from managers, CEOs, who have the goal of up-leveling their communication style to present a keynote or a TEDx talk, I have coached multiple TEDx speakers, or if it's someone who just wants to get more confident with their elevator speech at a networking event, or lead a meeting more powerfully, I work individually with to get into their authentic speaker style, not only from the strategy of mindset and confidence, but crafting the message to make it matter. So we work with that perfecting of the performance and poise, but also content messaging. I also work with teams in terms of whether you want a webinar where it's virtual or in person, I can go to, I live here in Southwest Iowa. So I do travel and I'm willing to do teams of anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50. I've done wide range of presentations to train in Kiersey, to train in effective communication, to train how to tell your story, to boost your business and organization and how to use improv to connect more effectively top of the mind and using yes and at the core. I also host retreats here at Maple Edge Farm. We have goats. So effective communication, that's what it's all about. But having that intimacy of connection and green space, I think, is is meaningful. With all of this, you can email me at Tina B, Tina B as in boy, at tinabakehouse.com. I'm happy to do a discovery call with you to connect I even have a YouTube channel, Effective Communication with Tina B, and a Facebook group called Uplevel Your Speaker Style Network for Professional Women, as well as LinkedIn, all kinds of things, right? So check out tinabakehouse.com. I'm here to help because that's what it's all about is I, I care about helping people find their voice because we all have a voice. And that you're able to share that story because being able to communicate, you're going to be a much more effective leader. Absolutely. Tina, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing this really, truly interesting and helpful information. Yeah, I love it. I'm so glad we connected, Amber. Thanks for the opportunity. That wraps up this episode of the Organizer Chicks podcast. 
I'd like to give a big thanks to our producer, Connor Reed, as well as to Sweet 25, whose song, Thinking About You, you're listening to right now. Find this and more awesome songs by them on Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and, where possible, to review our podcast, which enables others to find it more easily. Thanks for spending your time here with us today, and be sure to join us next time as we work to turn your before into an after.